Uh, there we go. Continuing in our sermon series on journey to Jerusalem, taken out of the book of Luke. If you want to turn to chapter 17, you can follow along. Uh, first, around eight verses or so. And um, learning what Christ wanted his followers to know, um, to live out their life in an honoring way to, to him and to others. So I don't know um, if many of you have fruit trees in your backyards. Any of you have fruit trees or... Am I the only one that has to put up with? Oh, some people have. So when I lived in Langley, just uh, across the river there in, in Brookswood, down in the south <laughs> part, we had uh, two cherry trees, had peaches, and had grape arbor with lots of things of grapes coming down from the, from the arbor there. And that was kind of nice. I made my first peach pies. I don't know if you like peach pie, but I tried this. I'd say a lattice-inspired uh, crust on the top. It didn't quite look like it's supposed to, but you know, it tasted okay. Um, the trouble was the, the critters liked my fruit just as much as I did. So we had the raccoons that came in regularly, and we had the, we had, what did we have? We had rats, <laughs> we had mice, uh, birds. So I, I threw netting around my, uh, my grapes so that no one could get into the, the grapes, and um, I... I I use the water hose and the raccoons because, you know, they don't like to be sprayed. Other, some raccoons are quite feisty, though. Like, they look at me like, what's with the hose? Um, and the rats. You know, the rats were a different thing because I had more respect for the raccoons, I guess. But, uh, so I set traps for the rats, and I caught a number of them, but I realized quickly it was a losing battle. Now, my, my traps were not meant to capture and release. Um, they were meant to kind of eradicate <laughs> these rodents that were nibbling on my peaches and all of that. And, but I, know, like, I think they were waiting for the season, right? The season, the Blackaby backyard will come to fruition. And they're just all drooling, like, when, when's the peaches coming out? When's the grapes coming out in the fall and all that? And so uh, it was a, a temptation. But I realized, you know, I, I do have to share with, with nature. Um, I can't keep all to myself, except for the peaches. I didn't want to share my peaches. The rest, I mean, they could have them. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is going to talk to us about temptation. He's going to talk about it as if it was a snare, something that traps us as well. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1, he says to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come. In other words, you expect it. I mean, temptations are coming. Turn the next slide there. Uh, so the word for temptation in, in, the, in the Greek language, uh, it actually refers to that stick. And, and what happens is when you take the bait, you yank the stick and you're trapped, you're snared, it captures you. It's the word scandalon that we get the word scandal from. It's a, a cause to sin, an occasion to fall, a stumbling block, something that's put in your way to cause you to stumble. And... Uh, what he's saying uh, to us is that you can expect that every day you're going to face something that's going to distract you, that's going to take your attention away from where you're wanting to head, that's going to try and ensnare you uh, to keep you maybe even from what you're supposed to be doing. So understand that the temptation is not a sin. So you can't help a girl walking by you in a bikini if you're down, down by the beaches. It just happens. The problem is not seeing uh, a pretty girl or a gorgeous guy that, uh, that, that you see. 
The, the problem is when you take a look in the rearview mirror for a second chance to see, hmm, <laughs> it's like you, you, you can't avoid being tempted, but you can, uh, and, and also you, considering giving in to the temptation is not a sin, or thinking of all the reasons why it would be okay to give in to the temptation is not a sin. It's giving in to the temptation that actually triggers the consequences, the cover-up, the rationalizing, the blaming, uh, the excuses or the guilt or the shame. The temptation is going to come in a lot of different ways. And, and Jesus says if you're breathing, if you have blood in your veins, just expect that the temptations are going to come. Like the evil one knows your weaknesses. He knows what's going to get your attention. He knows what could cause you to be tripped up, to be trapped and to be ensnared. Temptation may be something uh, to do something we know we shouldn't do. Uh, to take something that isn't ours, that doesn't belong to us. Temptation to just say something when we know we should have stayed silent. Or to neglect to do something that we knew we should do. But there's, there's some temptations that have far-reaching consequences. You know, like when we blatantly sin against God or against our family or against our marriage or our company or the government. In which case, we can actually face lifelong challenges and consequences. So Jesus says, expect temptations to come. He says, this is just normal. It's part of life. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be tempted to do stuff that's not, not in your best interest. And he faced temptations as well. We have the record of him being tempted to try and divert him from the path that God had planned for him. And so he, but he succeeded, right? He, he didn't give in. He was tempted. He could have given in, but he chose not to. He, uh, he, he could have lost his temper many times. He could have gotten too close to the women around him, but he didn't. He could have ignored God's directives. He could have acted selfishly, but he chose not to. Knowing temptations are coming means that we can actually be prepared. We can have a plan when the temptations come our way. Expect it, plan for it, organize for it, and you're going to be okay. So if we are hot-tempered, if, if we tend to get angry fast, um, we can, we, we, we can pray to God to give us an unoffendable heart. We can, we can pray that, that what happens to us doesn't trigger us into saying stuff that would be uh, to lose control or saying stuff or doing things in a fit of anger. We can ask God's help to calm us, to direct us in those moments toward grace and, and patience and not to let it annoy us like it. And, and that's God's job, right? He, he works in our character. He works on our, on our nature to help us to be more like his son and responsible over time. So 1 Corinthians 10, 12, many of you have known this verse. This a modern translation says, even if you think you can stand up to temptation, but be careful not to fall. And when you are tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted, you know, God will be trusted to not let you be tempted too much. And he will show you how to escape from your temptation. You know, there is a way out. The problem is when we don't look for that way out. When we give in, when we dwell on it, when we allow it to, to consume us, to control us. And he, he t makes a little bit of a twist here because he starts off with um, temptation is coming. And then he says, but woe to the one through whom it comes. Uh, and that's a little bit different. Uh, he says, expect temptation, but don't be the one that tempts others. Don't be the one that leads others into a trap or into a snare. Um, he's saying that there's, there's going to be more severe consequences for those who lead others into sin than those 
who gave in to the temptation. When I think about drug dealers who can, who can tempt people into a destructive lifestyle, can, can compromise all that they should have become. I think about false religions or cult leaders who abuse their followers. I think about disillusioned people who have turned their backs on God and want others to follow them. They get mad at the church, they walk away, they blame everyone, they want, up, they want to destroy everyone else's faith as well. It says in verse 2, it would be better for him, for those that cause others to sin or to fall or to be trapped or ensnared, if a millstone or a big stone was hung around their neck and were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. When it says uh, it would be better, it means if you think having a rock tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean is bad, wait to see what God has planned for those that destroy other people, that lead them into uh, being consumed by their, their, their sin or, their, or um, the lifestyle that is totally destructive. And this, when it says little ones, it should cause one of these little ones to sin. It's not talking about kids per se or children. It's talking about new believers, new followers, those that don't know a whole lot, that can be easily influenced. And if you take them and then divert them off into a pathway that is destructive and away from what God intends, you will be guilty of the consequences. So my grandfather, uh, my father's father, I never met the man. And, um, but there's, he's legendary, the kinds of things that he had did, done in his life. He's a man of character. Uh, he's a, every story that we heard about him is like, this is how you should live too. You know, see what he did, be like that. Well, one of the stories wasn't quite like that. Uh, he was, uh, fought in First World War. He fought in Vimy Ridge and Passchendaele. He was an immigrant from England, came over, worked with the Bank of Montreal, all the little places in the Okanagan and Prince Rupert and Williams Lake, stuff like that. And, he actually helped start a church in a dance hall in Prince Rupert that's actually today still one of the stronger churches in that city. But um, he volunteered to work with the youth, with the young people at church, led the choir, um, helped out any way he could, even preached on the side when there wasn't a, a preacher around. Sometimes he'd take the guys uh, camping over the weekend, hiking, uh, getting out to nature, probably use some of his skills as a soldier, how to survive and show them how to start a fire. In the evenings, they would play cards to pass the time. But years later, he heard that some of these same boys um, got married, got jobs, had a life, family, but the gambling part of it took a hold of them and ruined them. Several of the kids that he had taught how to play cards lost their homes, lost their family, lost their jobs because of a gambling addiction that, they had, that had taken over them. My grandfather felt so horrible that he was the one who introduced them to gambling in the first place. So he determined to never touch another deck of cards again, and he refused to allow them in his home. His three boys, one of them was my dad, they didn't know how to play cards. It'd be an easy, easy take, you know, <laughs> to get them in a But we didn't have cards in our home either because they were evil. They were destructive. They led to destructive things. We didn't have alcohol in our home. He wouldn't, he saw the effects of alcohol as well. He decided not to have alcohol in his home. He didn't want to be the reason why other people's lives got destroyed. Jesus says, watch yourself. You don't use your freedoms to draw someone else into a trap. Jesus says, we will be held accountable. So temptations will come 
And um, watch for them. Be ready for them. Don't think you're impervious to temptation. If you have blood flowing in your veins, you're going to be tempted. And there's lots of different kinds of temptations that we face every day. One, I think, is basically just selfishness. Knowing what you are supposed to do, but changing last minute to do something else you like better or more fun. Uh, taking care of our own needs first, even when it means others will miss out. Or only going to things that you think are going to be a lot of fun instead of doing things that are actually good to help others. I think that the extreme of selfishness is narcissism. That's really been creeping up for the last 10, 15 years. I hear this word all the time. Thinking everything is about you. Butting in on every conversation. Having to always get your way. Controlling situations and people for your own benefit. Always having to be noticed. The center of attention. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. Um, probably one of the only things I do post on from time to time. But don't you get tired of everyone saying, oh, look what I have. Look what I'm wearing. Look what I'm driving. Look where I'm going. Here, look at what I'm eating. I'm going, like, seriously? Do I want to know what you're eating? Uh, uh, you know, uh, look what I just bought. Kind of looking for everyone else's affirmation. Maybe wanting them to be jealous because you're so special. And maybe, you know, maybe that's where people get their identity or they get their self-esteem from is by people liking and posting. Ooh, that, where'd you get that? And how much is that? Whoa, you don't want to know. You know, uh, any of these scenarios, you, you can actually be pulled into people's snare. You can be pulled into the trap, you know, the conspicuous consumption, bragging about it, the deception, telling lies to get out of trouble, being deceitful regarding how money was spent or lying about where you went or who you were with. You ever had to lie for somebody? Someone calls, hey, Dad, uh, so-and-so is on the phone. Oh, tell him I'm not here. Forcing people to lie for you. Oh, I'm sorry, he's not available right now. Teaching your kids to lie. Isn't that something? Or, or you were out shopping with your friends and then you try something on and your friend says, oh, that's perfect for you. You need to buy that. That looks amazing. And you go, oh, I can't really afford this. Like, I'm on a budget, right? I, I can't just buy this whenever. I, oh, no, you, your husband will understand. Is this okay if you go over a little? Giving in to the temptation, to the snare, to the trap because someone else pressures you to buy it. Did you ever... Purchase an item just to keep up with family members or friends who bought the same thing. Oh, you really need to get this coffee machine because it's amazing. It's only $1,300, but it's worth $1,300. I go, <laughs> it's like I can grind some coffee and pour hot water on it. And, you know, like, no, no, but, you know, it's an amazing, it's an experience you have to have. Well, okay, if everyone else is getting it. I wouldn't mind one, by the way, just, you know, if you have an extra one like that. But it's a trap. It's a snare. You're drawn into other people's worlds and distractions and addictions. If, you're, if you don't watch yourself, you can easily be drawn in to what everyone else says you have to have or how you have to be or what you need to do. So what happens if someone does fall for temptation or sins against you? Jesus is taking another, another step. First, it's like there is going to be temptation. Watch out for it. Don't be the one to take others down that road and destroy their faith or their understanding of God or, or to, to do things that are going to be destructive to them. And then it's saying, okay, but if there is someone fails, and they will, and you will too, you're not going to always be on top of your game. 
But if someone does fall for temptation, it says in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother or sister sins, rebuke them or point it out to them. And if he or she repents, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in the same day and turns to you seven times and says, I'm sorry, I'm stupid, I repent, I didn't mean it, you, you must forgive them. It's talking about accountability. Caring enough about your friends to point out things that are getting out of control. Or where they have said or done something that has hurt you or hurt other people. Caring enough about them to say, this can't continue. This has got to stop. Like, this is hurting our friendship when you do this. No one likes to be rebuked or confronted and have their sins pointed out. But some will actually be grateful that you took the time, that you cared enough to say that this is not, this shouldn't continue anymore. You can't keep doing this to your wife. You can't keep doing this to your kids. You can't, you can't keep doing this because it's so hurtful and destructive. Forgiving others will bring healing and restoration of relationships. The Bible tells us that we have a ministry of reconciliation to help people be right with one another and with God. It's our privilege to help people get back on track. It's not that we're being critical or holier than thou or I, my life is all great. You should have my life. So that's not what it's talking about. It's saying you see something destructive and hurting others. It's, it's our obligation to point it out for their sake, for their, the sake of their family. It's not kind of forgiveness that um, says, oh, 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 I'm sorry, you blew it again. Uh, yeah, I hope you do better next time. This is the kind of forgiveness that actually is hard because we have to confront what's going on that's wrong. We have to point out sin. We have to point out the destructive things that are happening in people's lives, hoping that they will trust us and care enough about our relationship that they will apologize and ask for forgiveness. And then then you walk with them. You help them to stop that kind of thing. You help them, encourage them, uh, be their friend. It involves a confrontation. Forgiveness is not a weakness. It's a strength, and this is hard to do. You might lose a friendship, but really, what kind of friendship it, is it if you don't, you're not honest anyway? It'll eat away at you. If you let things happen, you're aware of stuff that's going on in their life, and you don't point it out, and you know, their wife says, didn't you know? Didn't you know what's going on? And you go, oh, yeah, yeah I, just, I just, you know, I didn't want to say anything. Like, okay, now, well, thanks a lot. It's over. And now we face the consequences. It could have stopped before. So Jesus says we must forgive a repentant sinner. Sooner or later it will be us, you and I, that needs that same forgiveness. So offer it without delay. But there are some sins that this doesn't address, that don't fall into this category. Sexual sins, adultery, infidelity, fornication, these things you can't just do seven times in a day and say, oops, messed up again. No. Abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. It might happen one time, and they might say, I'm so sorry, like, I don't know what came over me, I, 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 I repent, I'm sorry, how can I make it up to you? Then you can offer forgiveness, but if it keeps happening on and on, get out of it. Find another place to live. Don't put up with that. It's not our duty to, to be blinded. Um, by these kinds of things. Theft, embezzlement of someone's life savings. I've heard of people selling other people's homes or cars or property out from under them and keeping the proceeds. Not repaying a loan. You can't keep 
borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and never paying back. That's called a, a serious, that's jail time. There are consequences. And that, that this is not talking about those kinds of things that are so serious that you might need to walk away and just say, we can't, I can't be associated with you anymore for the sake of my family. My, I don't want them to hang out with a person that's going to do that, treat others like that. Is there forgiveness? Yes, if there is repentance. If they are going to actually do something to bring reconciliation. If they are going to be restored, make up for it, work, work hard to pay back everything that they owe everybody that they borrowed from. That's, a, that's a, an indication that repentance is worth uh, offering, that there's been a life change. But until that happens, you've got to watch yourself and be careful. And then it's a very strange verse, and verse 5 comes next. So the disciples are listening about, about temptations are coming. Uh, you need to offer forgiveness regularly for those that keep failing. Uh, watch out that you don't actually be the source of temptation or the snare people fall into. And then they say, Lord, <laughs> increase our faith. It's a curious verse just stuck in the middle here because I'm not sure if it refers to this part about giving forgiveness to people. Because maybe in their culture they were like, no, get even. No, make a, make a point of this. Make, make an example of them. Uh, make sure everybody knows how they hurt you. But he's saying, no, we've got we to gotta, we gotta confront and forgive. Maybe they need more faith to do that. But in chapter 9, they were actually trying to follow his example and they were casting demons out of kids. They didn't have enough faith. Or they were... They're going to cause fire and destruction down on a village of, in Samaria because they re refused to let Jesus stay there. Going, where's the compassion? Where's the grace? Where's the care and concern for others? Maybe they needed, maybe they just wanted more faith to do the kinds of things he was doing. I'm not quite sure what it is, but wouldn't it be great if you could just say, God, give me more faith? Let's see if I can do this. Let's snap my finger. No, who can snap a finger really well? Thank you. You ask for more grace and more faith, and then, poof, you get more faith. Wouldn't that be great? God, give me more patience, and you're more patient. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. What he does instead is he gives you opportunities to express your faith, more, more difficult challenges to depend on him, to, to ask him to step up. You know, when we, when we choose to do what God asks us to do, even when it's difficult, our faith will grow. And when we cry out to him in our time of crisis, and he answers us, our faith grows in that situation. When we spend time on our knees interceding for others, trusting God to come through for us, our faith will grow as we exercise it, as we put it into practice, as we use our faith, it grows. Same with patience. Give you more patience, and then you get into a traffic jam. You're there for an hour and a half. <sighs> God says, I, wh "What? You asked? Here's an opportunity. Put on a podcast. Listen to the word. Put your get your Bible app out and hit you know speak out loud on your phone. Use this time. Redeem the time. Uh, make a plan if you're going to face. You know you're going to get into traffic jam. Make a plan so you don't get angry and honk your horn and yell something and all that." You, if you're going to face this temptation, figure a way through it so you don't end up in a bad place. So Jesus replies to their, their ask, 
If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, this mulberry brush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would happen. And if I had a mustard seed between my fingers, there's no way you could see it. It's, it's tiny, tiny. Jesus is saying, you don't need a, a lot of faith. You just need the right kind of faith. Don't ask for more faith. Just have a mature faith. Have a faith that gets past the childishness of, 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 of uh, simple things and step up and understand the kind of God that we serve that is willing to step up and help you out in those moments. It's not more faith. It's the right kind of faith. So temptation, repentance, forgiveness, all of these things happen in community. It's, uh, you don't do these things alone. You can't face temptation alone. You can't uh, repent alone. You can't have forgiveness alone. It's all done in community with one another helping each other. We know we're all going to be tempted at some point. We all know that we're going to face similar temptations because that's what the Bible says. Like, there's nothing you're going to face that other people haven't already faced. And that's why we have community to say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I know what you're going through. I've been there. Well, how did you make it through? Well, let me tell you. How God came through for me or how I prayed and God answered. Or this is what I did. This is a plan I put in place. It's something we do together. And we can expect that failure is going to happen along the way. And we may need to lovingly point out an error of our friend's ways, hoping they'll accept our correction, repent, accept our forgiveness as many times as, it, as it's needed. Because we're going to be the next one, right? We're going to, oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I, I totally forgot or I meant, I, you know, I wanted to come through or I, I know I promised that to you, but I sold it to someone else. It's like, we're going to be the next one who needs forgiveness. No one's perfect and we're all in community to help one another. Three last things I want to say. One is uh, face temptation with confidence. If you know what's coming, plan for it. So uh, we had 50 or 60 women that were gone this past weekend to a retreat. Uh, the reports are, it went amazing. They had an amazing time together. I'll probably ask them to report back on uh, next week. But some of you guys, some of you guys uh, could have been tempted to do something or get involved in something over the weekend because the referee is gone. She'll never know. You can watch stuff, go places, do stuff. The wife won't know. So you plan for it. What am I going to do? So Friday night, where did I go? I went to a men's group. Uh, I hadn't been to it before. And uh, our church has lots of different groups going on. And one of the, I won't tell you who was there or what they talked about. It was all good stuff. But one of the things that I heard from mo a lot of the guys in this group, and they've gone through the deep, deep, deep waters together. A lot of hugging going on. I don't know, a lot of hugging going on. Touchy, touchy. <laughs> I don't mind, I don't mind. But what I heard was most of these guys said, I have never had a group of friends like this. I've never had a group of guys that I could just call and know that they drop everything and help me out. Or if I'm going through a tough time, I, I, I just, I know they'll be there for me and, and they'll, they'll come over if I need it. And, and it says, I've never been so, a lot of them have never been through such difficult trials in their life. And some of them literally trials that they've had to face in court. Uh, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of brokenness and broken dreams and bro broken family, everything. And these guys care for one another and they love one another and they're there for one another. I was so 
proud of this group uh, at, at the level of, of uh, help that they are for one another. It's not that they're weak. It's that they're human. That they have needs. And they get hurt. And they have disappointments. And who's going to be there? Woe to the person that has nobody to help them back up, to come alongside. So what do we do on Friday night coming up? We've got a men's meeting. And you say, book study? Oh, I hate books. I don't like reading. I don't want to read books. I'm going, well, don't read the book. Forget about the book. Just show up. It'd be better if you read chapter two of this book because we're going to discuss it. But it's not, the, the point of meeting is not to read a book. The point of meeting is to build friendships, to build relationships with guys that have gone through what you're going through or what they've gone through what you're about to go through. Uh, we're, we're all human. We all have stuff. We've got to deal with stuff, but it's done in community to help one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, and confront one another. Hey, you know, it's a little harsh there, buddy. <laughs> like, I, don't, I think we need to pray about some of this stuff. You're going to a little cross the line here about getting even and and all and so but it's to help one another like don't be alone we're here meant to be together to encourage and support one another so that's what our men's meetings are about we're, yeah we'll have tons of popcorn we'll do some testimonies to share with guys and fascinating stories about where they used to be and where they've where they've come to today three things face temptation with confidence second take time to confront sin with love do you need to confront a friend or a loved one pointing out some sin that they've been involved in? You've got to pray long and hard about this. This isn't just rebuking someone. This is not just walking up to someone. You're bad. It's not what this is. It's saying what you're doing is destructive. It's hurtful. And I don't think you realize the impact you're having on your own family and on your own friends. I can't let you continue without bringing this up. Pray long and hard before you do it for their sake and for the sake of your friendship. Be strong in the relationship. Don't let them drag you into their sin or become complicit with it. You got, maybe have to say, I just can't continue. If you've got a problem with drinking and your friend just drinks the whole time you're there, and you're like, I, can't, I, I, I can't be with, around you like right now. I, just, I, I, I struggle whenever we're, we're together. Can you maybe not do that So for the sake of our friendship or whatever it is? Third thing, if someone comes to you, with some correction, or I don't like the word rebuke. I think it's more like, hey, guy, I love you, <laughs> and I need to point something out that's really hurting me and others. Don't react. Don't get defensive or lash out at them. Don't blame them. Don't accuse them. Don't call them names. They've only said it because they care about you and about your friendship. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and move to repentance as fast as possible. Jesus doesn't throw pablum at us. He doesn't give us, you know, baby food. He gives us the real deal. He wants to deal with character issues. He wants to deal with community issues. He wants to get us to a place where we're healthy together, helping one another, never letting, letting someone be alone and, and be left behind. But we all walk together. I'm going to pray. And then... Uh, Last week, we had an announcement from Pastor Neil that I want you to hear uh, from him, and um, we'll close the service. Let me pray. Father God, this is your church. You're wanting us to look like your son more and more, someone who knows how to be selfless, how to be sacrificial, how to be forgiving, but strong. Jesus was never weak. He was no pushover. He knew exactly who he was, where he was going, and what was going to have to happen. 
May we live a life worthy of our calling as followers of Christ, that we also would act the same way, caring and loving for others, regardless of who they are and what the need is. May we stand out as people that represent you well. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.